big welcome to you out there and a big welcome to Peter Christensen. Uh, I love to see you again. I'm so excited to what you are going to talk about because you have something to tell all the riders. Yeah, thank you so much, Anne, for having me again. Um, same here. I'm super excited about talking about the subject because in the horse industry, it's just so normal for people to have scary experiences and accidents. And it doesn't have to be that way. No. Yes. And... Um... You are going to to tell us a little about that, and and we are we agree so much in this. We were just talking about uh, when I was riding as a little girl. They told me on the riding school that if you're not falling off a hundred times, you're not a good rider. And <laughs> and we were discussing that this is so normal to hear out there, and and this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it is ridiculous and it is totally normal, right? Everybody, I'm sure, has heard that when I did a little workshop with my students here in the U.S., I asked, you know, who has confidence issues, right? And the majority of uh, listeners said, yeah, I do have confidence issues. Mm. And then I asked, you know, has anybody told you it's normal to fall off? Yes, I've heard that, right? Has anybody heard, you know, show your horse who's boss? Oh yeah, all the time. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is the, the root cause. So many times we look at advice with horses and it's always the band-aid fixed, right? Oh, mm -hmm. switch your bit or get the martingale or mm. lunge your horse. Or, you know, don't feed him alfalfa. It makes the horse hot. And it's all this superficial advice that wants to provide a quick fix. But we're never really looking deeper into why is the horse really behaving the way she is behaving. Mm. And to me, that is really the reason why scary experiences and accidents happen. Because barely anybody looks for the for the root cause and provides a solution that is fixes things once and for all and helps the horse to feel safe, secure, and confident with the human. Yes, and, and you can ask yourself, I don't know why people, they, they're jumping over this groundwork somehow. Uh, this is... Yeah, they have to go deeper. And uh, of course, it takes some time. But when you have made the groundwork work, it's all different. Right. Yeah. And every every student that comes to me, when we go through our pre-ride safety check, I find that probably 99% of my students have a horse that I consider not rideable. And it's always a big aha moment because most people will say, oh, yeah, just get back on. I had a student in the UK 
um, her horse went just off the path and ran with her across the field. Thank goodness she didn't come off, but she got really, really scared mm. because it could have gone really wrong. He was completely out of control. And so she told the other people at the barn, I'm, I'm not riding my horse anymore. So immediately somebody comes in and says, oh, let me ride him for you. Mm. And they all just saw the horse, you know, being so scared that he just took off a freshly plowed field mm. and there was nothing she could do to stop him. And just thank goodness she didn't fall off. Mm. But it's so normal that people say, oh, yeah, get back on. Let me ride the horse for you. And they're willing mm. to put themselves and the other person in danger. Mm. As you said, they, they think uh, you, you must show the horse that you're the boss. That, that is yeah. what you hear. Exactly. Right. And so from my perspective, the horse industry is a man-ruled world, has always been for hundreds of years and the the next step is to look at the male horse how he is interacting with the herd and use that as an example of how to treat the horse as a human and for me so my background is I was a Pirelli natural horsemanship instructor for several years and before that, I had always, since I, the first time I went to a riding school in Germany, now I'm in the US, I grew up in Germany, um, I was 11, right? And we can probably relate to the stories that we can tell, right? Somebody took me and put me on this big warm blood and said, ride into the arena, and I had never been on a horse. And from there on, I noticed very quickly, very quickly that I didn't like the way horses were treated in, in this riding school. And so I found a riding school that I felt, you know, there was a little bit more concern for the animals. And very quickly, I volunteered at a horse rescue and then moved on to boarding horses and helping people with their horses. In Germany, I was really involved with Linda Tellington-Jones' team and T-Touch. And then we came over here to the US and I had a really scary riding accident. And there were a few reasons why this happened. Number one, I had a neighbor that had the belt buckles and the trophies. She was, you know, a, a longstanding trainer. She was older than I was. And I thought she has way more credentials than me and I need to listen to her. So when yeah. my horse got afraid and spooked and I fell off and every fiber in my body said, don't get back on your horse. That mm. is a bad idea. She said, get back on. Yeah. Don't be a weenie. Show the horse who's boss. Make him do it. Mm. 
and she put me in the round pen with a horse, told me I had to hold the reins short, and I had to work him in the round pen. And my horse reared and bucked, and I flew through the air and hit the ground with my face first, and then I slid a little bit. And when I opened my eyes, the fence post was right in front of me. And in that moment, I realized I could have been paralyzed if I had hit that fence post. I could have died, I've broken my neck. And from there on, I struggled with my confidence with horses. Mm. And the, the usual response, right? Get back on, don't be a weenie. If you're afraid to ride, you have to ride in, in order to get over your fear. Mm -hmm. um, the John Wayne method, get back on, even if you shake in your boots, right? Yeah. And I followed that advice, despite that I really knew better, right? My intuition always was, this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel good. It doesn't me feel good. I, I, my horse doesn't like it either, but everybody said, that's what you do. And so I couldn't set boundaries for myself because I didn't say no to my neighbor when she told me to get back on my horse. I couldn't set boundaries for my horse because I put my horse in a terrible situation by getting back on. And so it was just all, the entire situation was really bad. And for years and years, it got to the point where I was in the house looking for excuses why I shouldn't go back down to the barn. Mm. And I know so many students that get to that point where they're afraid to even be around their horse and do things. Or the mm. other day I had a student that said, all I could do with my horse anymore was groom her. Mm. I, I, didn't, I didn't dare to do anything else. I couldn't lead her anymore. If I tried to lead her down to the riding arena, she would rip the reed lobe out of my hand. And I got so scared that all I could do was groom my horse. Mm -hmm. And I was even below that. <laughs> I didn't even want to be down there at the barn anymore and groom horses. And what Pirelli Natural Horsemanship did for me was back then, Linda Pirelli said that was kind of like my last straw to go to the expo here in Denver and Colorado and you know, look at, at their um, tour stop. And she said, the first thing, when you think about getting off your horse, get off your horse. And I was like, wow, I have never heard that before. Everybody says, get back on the horse. She said, get off mm. your horse. Yeah. And so like, I, you know, I want to learn more about that. Mm -hmm. And so my, my husband back then, he bought me a one week clinic being a natural horsemanship, early natural horsemanship clinic. And I regained a lot of my confidence within a week. And so I was so excited about that, that I thought I need to become an instructor and I need to tell other people about how awesome this is. And while I was going through my journey and I became an instructor and I watched my students, I'm like, okay, this is better than the horse training that I learned in Germany, but there is, there is still this dominance and the control, and I still feel and see horses being tense and tight and worried and scared and afraid. And this mm -hmm. idea that you have an effective phase four, 
and you 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 we used to say we cause we don't make we cause but i came to that conclusion causing is still making because we're attached to the outcome hmm. and so then i started questioning this whole idea of we're looking to the dominant stallion of how he is interacting with a herd. And when we're looking at what is the job of the stallion, it's procreation and protection because he's in the back of the herd and the lead mare is in front and she's leading the herd and every horse is following her and nobody is hanging back and saying, oh, I'm lazy today. I don't feel like doing anything like our horses do with us, right? Or I want to go faster than the lead mare, right? No horse is passing the lead mare, but horses run off with us all the time. And that was really a big turning point for me where I'm like, we need to change the way we interact with horses in order to get those heart-centered results that you know I was looking for, that my students were looking for. And I'm sure your students look for the same ideas, right? Yeah. And I, I recognize what you said, that uh, this going off the horse, you, you have always heard, don't go off the horse because then the horses win. Mm-hmm, mm. exactly. <laughs> Don't let them get away with it. No. They're trying to get out of work. I've heard that a lot. Mm. Your horse is trying to get out of work. And it's such a silly thing to say because horses don't know what work is. It, it, I mean, it's such a strange concept to think that a horse knows what work is and that they're supposed to perform and that they're supposed to do what we want them to mm. do. Because when we look at what they're doing in the herd, a lot of it is just being together. There's just a lot of being and hanging out together and eating and resting and being ready in case a predator comes to take flight. But they definitely don't know what work is. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lucky ones. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people say it all the time, right? Mm. And so from there, I was lucky enough to take some time off and just kind of look at, okay, what have I learned so far? And what do I feel is working? And what do I feel is not working? And when I looked at my accident, right, I, I had a horse that I got from an auction. And um, after I bought him, I realized he had a severe anxiety around saddling. And I thought I fixed that. And then I thought he was ready to ride, right? He was really good about saddling and he was really calm. He wasn't anxious anymore. <clears throat> and what caused him to shy was an irrigation pipe laying in the field. I still remember he cocked his head and he looked down and he saw that white thing in the grass and he spooked away and I came off. And so this idea that horses 
take care of themselves, that they're in self-preservation and self-protection because they don't see us as the lead. They don't rely on us <clears throat> to make the right decisions for them so that they don't have to be afraid. No. Because I feel that most of the time we're actually causing the horse in the horse industry in general. Most people cause the horse to be in various states of fear, whether they just have a little bit of brace and tension, whether they're you know anxious and worried, or whether it's downright fear and panic. People cause that. And so how can we not go there mm -hmm. that our horse is afraid and that our horse actually looks for us for guidance? Yeah, there is something in the grass, but I don't care because I know my human always takes care of me. I always feel good when my human is around. I always feel safe and secure. I always feel confident. That irrigation pipe means nothing when we get to that point. And I wasn't at that point with my horse. And I wasn't at the point where I could set boundaries for our relationship, because if I had set a boundary for our relationship, I would have said to my neighbor, thank you for the suggestion, but no, thank you. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of us, when we are heart-centered horse lovers, we have a hard time setting boundaries with our horse, for ourselves when it comes to our own confidence. Most of us, we push through thresholds because that's what we are told and we're just following like everybody else mm -hmm. <laughs> the yes. without yeah. questioning it. And then also boundaries with other people that we allow other people to bring elements into our relationship that we really don't want to have. The farrier that hits the horse the vet that, you know, snubs the horse to a post to, to do whatever he needs to do. The barn owner that thinks our horse needs to be reprimanded, you know, and whacked. And so from my perspective, we really need to create a bubble around ourselves and our horse where we have a plan where we, the human and the horse can feel safe, secure and confident together and that's something that really isn't taught much and I think that's why we can relate so much because you have students that have confidence issues mm -hmm. and this idea of how can we help people to find joy in their in in their interactions with their horses again Yes. <clears throat> and so from what, what my goal was, horse, I call it horsewomanship, right? Because my students are all female. Mm -hmm. um, this idea that can be horsewomanship or horsemanship, can it be like going to the mailbox? Can I stumble and fall? When I go to the mailbox, yeah, I can, right? There's a possibility 
but what are the chances? And so that's what it should be like with our horse. What are the chances that something can happen because I have such an amazing relationship with my horse that my horse always looks for me for guidance and the dog running around the corner barking doesn't matter and the plastic bag flying through the air doesn't matter and the trash truck, you know, rattling down the road doesn't yeah. matter. And that's that's where I feel I have come up with four key elements that we can show up and emulate the lead mare, right? I mean, we're not horses, right? There are things that we can't do. And our horse is always going to say, you're kind of funky looking horse because mm. you only have two legs, right? And you and, do strange and no things. ears. <laughs> <laughs> no ears. Yeah, where are the ears? Yeah. <laughs> and where's the tail, right? Yeah. I mean... There, there is there is the fact that we are human, but I feel we can emulate the lead mare. And when I look at in the wild, how horses interact with each other, the lead mare is the brave one. She goes first. She's not going to stand, you know, at the edge of the river and say, okay, guys, you're going to go through first and I'm going to see how this works out, right? Or you touch this first, right? And then we're going to see how it works. She goes through first and she shows it's possible. And she's often an older mare, right? As we get older, we might not be as physically active or capable, but we have the wisdom and we have the experience. And this idea that she's willing to make benevolent decisions for her herd, and a lot of times what we see in the horse industry, that the human is interested in her goals and her way of wanting to interact with the horse and winning trophies and, you know, showing up in fancy riding clothes. And if somebody wants to do that, more power to them, right? But at the same time, we need to look at all of this and say, what's in it for my horse and why would she want to do that mm -hmm. and from my perspective our horses will do all kinds of things for us when they feel safe secure and confident with us and so these mm -hmm. four key elements i already started talking about boundaries right and so <laughs> when students come to me in general i see that the horse doesn't have a clear understanding about our personal space. And one thing that the lead mare does is she honors her personal space and horses can't just walk in there or push her around or occupy space or demand space. When the lead mare goes into the herd, everybody makes room for her. And I have, I had like a really cool example with, um, couple of mares at my place I had a very bossy young gelding that was just a little bit of a menace and he would go around and aggravate the older horses and so she was laying down and he started biting her on the legs and she swished her tail and kind of kicked at him and he's like yeah you don't mean that and he kept going and she jumped up 
and she chased him around my trail system for like 10 minutes and he had his tail under his legs you know and he was running 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 and that to me that is a dominant mare that is a horse that that um chases you know the other horse around that is interested in movement and it's like don't you dare and ever do that again. And we see that kind of behavior in humans where they really go after the horse, where they chase the horse around in the round pen, or they make the horse work on the lunch line, or they're saying, you know, you have to make your horse work on the saddle in order to make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. And to me, that horse was afraid. Right? He was afraid for his life. He was running, running, running. Yes. And does that happen in the herd? Absolutely. Hmm. But that horse is also not the lead mare because the lead mare isn't dominant. She doesn't go around and chase the other horses around. She's not in the back of the herd. She doesn't round up the herd, right? We're talking a lot about rounding up the herd and, and you know, cornering horses in, in a in the pasture or the round pen is designed to take choices away from the horse to control and manipulate the horse right it's a tool that we humans use to take choices away from horses and make them move and so when we come from a perspective of like my other mare so other gelding interestingly enough both of these horses were orphans and were really spoiled by their human and so he would also go around and aggravate everybody and you know chase everybody around and for the first three days that he came into the herd my mare cash just ignored him she didn't even acknowledge that he was there and then he came over on day three and tried to eat from her hay pal and she reared up and she squealed and she kicked out she never touched him but it was so big and so surprising that he was like never mind i'm never gonna eat from your hate pile again and to me this idea that it's surprising that it's actually fairly light because she never touched him but mm -hmm. she made a stance she said this is my space mm -hmm. don't you dare and come in here and so this idea that we can honor our personal space and make our personal space available by invitation, I think is really important. And whether we have a dominant horse and they by nature constantly argue about space, right? Those are the ones that push with a shoulder into our personal space or they keep walking forwards and we start walking backwards and making room for our horse and the horse is cha-ching point for me <laughs> i must be the one that is in, you know on top of you in the herd hierarchy but even i see it with horses that are scared and unconfident when we honor our personal space and we don't have to be mean about it it's just about the clarity in the boundaries they actually then start to settle down and they they start to look for us for guidance because that feels safe to them it's very clear and it's we're coming from consistency right it's always the same it's not like one day i set boundaries and then the next day i had trouble at work and i'm tired and i'm like oh, i don't want to deal with that today we can't do that Oh. We have to have that clarity. We have to have the consistency. 
and then certainty happens. And certainty to me is I know what's going to happen next. And that helps us with our horse then finding connection with us, that helps us with our horse being cooperative, that helps us and our horse to be confident together. And we need to do the same thing with ourselves, with our thresholds and with other people. And to me, that is like that first thing. And that starts on approach that happens during feeding, haltering, leading, picking feet, grooming, all those everyday tasks, we can say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share my space with you. But in general, my space is by invitation only. And when you push on my space, or when you occupy or demand space, no, you cannot come in my personal space. And in general, I would say three feet. But it depends, you know, if I have a horse that is currently biting, striking, kicking, or doing any dangerous behavior, which a lot of my students come with horses that are really difficult, then my personal space might be five feet or 10 feet or 20 feet. And that's when a lot of times people say, well, but then I can't halter my horse. Yeah, but it's not safe right now to halter your horse if your horse has a tendency to bite, strike, and kick. So first we set those boundaries and then when our horse says okay i get it you you kind of look like the lead i'm i'm kind of you know waiting to see what's happened then i can help my horse with the next thing and that's thresholds and i think in general in the horse industry we're being taught that our horse is not allowed to voice his or her feelings not allowed to give us feedback and for sure if they give us feedback we're not going to listen to it because that would mean we let the horse get away with it hmm. and to me that is something that is so fundamentally wrong because when we look at i think horses are a lot a lot like heart-centered horse lovers they want to please in general they want to have that connection they want to feel safe, secure, and confident. And they're relying on the herd to, to feel that way, right? We very much want to be part of something. And we, we a lot of times, you know, when people, we tend to please other people to fit in. And there's a lot of horses that fit, you know, some horses, are they're very, independent and they're very bossy and they're very dominant but a lot of horses all they want to do is feel safe secure and confident with us even the dominant horse wants that just like with dominant horses we have to raise our level of leadership in order for them to say yeah you, you're worthy my lead i am already confident you know i already feel pretty safe because who i am and what i can do but yeah, you, you show up and you have proven to me that I'm, I'm happy to follow you. And so that comes with listening to our horse and looking for those mini and micro thresholds, the wrinkles around the nose or the tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth or the swish of the tail or the tension in the pole area. I see that so often <clears throat> that horses have tension in their neck, right? or they have tension around their nose and mouth area. And what happens is 
the hyoid apparatus behind the underneath the tongue, 16 muscles attached to it, the TMJ, the upper, um, you know, the polar area, the neck, the um, front quarters of the horse, and therefore the entire body can lock up if we have tension in the nose and mouth area. And to me, when I see those mini and micro thresholds, I release those before I do anything else. So that might be I, I step away, that might be I repeat what I'm doing because my horse didn't understand, that might be I break things down into smaller steps, whatever it takes so that my horse can say, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And I feel okay doing it versus pushing through it and making the horse do it. And then the next thing is the idea that when we do this, our horse can start to find relaxation. And ideally, I want to start with relaxation. So where is my horse currently relaxed? For some people that might be in the paddock and that might be with a human not interacting with them because they're so scared and they're so tense and tight. And then I start there. A lot of my students start in the paddock. They just first sit with a horse or stand with a horse and then they start to mirror their horse. And then we can start to have a conversation and introduce ideas. But every time my horse loses relaxation, Every time I see brace or tension or stress or anxiety or fear in my horse, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do so my horse can find relaxation again? That might be I'm in an environment that my horse doesn't trust me yet, right? So if I'm going out on the trail, trail ride and my horse starts to become unconfident, where can I go that my horse feels confident again? Is that with the other horses? Is that back at the trailer? Should I have never left the property because my horse wasn't ready to do so yet? I had a student in Croatia. She sent me a message and she said, so my horse doesn't want to leave the property. And my trainer said, that's an easy fix. You get on your horse. I take the lunch whip and every time your horse stops, I smack the horse in the, on the butt with a lunch whip. And she ended up her email. She said, do you think that is a good idea? <laughs> oh, right? God. And I'm like, you know, absolutely not. So here we have a horse that doesn't want to go forward. Hmm. And now we have the riding instructor with a crop behind the horse, whacking the horse. What is the horse going to do? The horse is going to go up because she doesn't want to go forward, right? So either she's hmm. going to go up or she's going to turn around and run off. And so... I, I love doing the figure eight exercise, this idea that where's my horse confident, maybe that's right in front of the barn, right? So I have a cone there. And then where is my horse about, where's my horse thinking, you know, oh, this might not be okay anymore. So in her case, it was the gate that the horse had to go through to go out on the road where the horse started to say, oh, I, I'm not okay anymore. I don't think I want to go out there. So we put a cone a little bit before that, and then she started walking her horse in a figure eight. So she was moving away from the place of comfort and confidence. But then the second cone, she turned back to the area of comfort and confidence. And pretty soon the horse was like, oh, 
All I have to do is go to the second cone and then I get to go back where I feel confident. And you do an inside turn, you do an outside turn, you have a little bit of a space conversation there because you want your horse to honor your personal space as you're walking with him. And pretty soon your horse is walking with you that figure eight. So then we're taking that cone and we're putting it, you know, a meter down the road and we're doing the same thing again. And so within three weeks, without any whacking the horse or causing potential a scary experience for horse and rider, even an accident, because I could see that that was very much a situation where she could have fallen off and hurt herself. Mm-hmm. Within three weeks, she was going out on the trail by herself with her horse and the horse was totally confident. And it's that, that willingness to spend a little bit of extra time, but then have a result that we have that result, right? It's not just, oh, we like put a little Band-Aid on it and we put a martingale on the horse and we hold our reins short and we make circles that our horse can go anywhere and we do half halts and we disengage the hind end, none of that. We have a long, loose rein and our horse is confidently moving out because we have proven that we are worthy of being the lead because we listen to our horse. And so always going back to that relaxation, I call that the triple X relaxation strategy. And then the last thing is, when I was a Pirelli instructor or any natural horsemanship that you see now, because any natural horsemanship is based on Pirelli. Pirelli came up with it and they didn't um, trademark that natural horsemanship term. And so now everybody can use it. And everybody, when you look, they go back to the seven games and the disengaging the hind end and moving the front end and backing the horse up and doing the desensitization with the flag or the plastic bag or with the stick and string. Everybody's doing the same thing, right? And what they also do is we used to say, we suggest, we ask, we tell, we promise. And I had a five-star Pirelli instructor tell me you have a tiger in your pocket and you let your horse know that tiger is in there and once in a while it'll come out. And that is that fear introducing that I'm gonna make it happen, I'm gonna cause it, you have no choice, you will do what I'm telling you to do because otherwise, you know, I'll make things happen. And can you create a, a light horse with that? Can you create a horse that has a soft feel with that kind of mindset? Yes, you can, because the horse is afraid, right? And the horse will try to operate in the parameters that the human is given him or her, because otherwise bad things happen. And I will, I will never forget. Um, so here in the US, Elizabeth Smart, um, is a woman that was kidnapped as a child out of her parents' home. And she did an interview and she said, you know, we need to look at the fight and the flight and the freeze, and we need to add a piece to that. I was appeasing my kidnapper to stay alive. And I see that, so, and, and I literally have goosebumps when I talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. I see that in horses. 
they're trying so hard to appease the human so that they don't have a bad experience, mm. that they don't feel pain, that they don't have to be afraid, right? And this idea of an effective phase four. So we're starting out light, but then we get bigger and bigger and bigger and more forceful until the horse finally gives in or gives up. To me, that is the essence of learned helplessness. And you can introduce that with humans and you can introduce that with people. And that is so prevalent in the horse industry. And that's something that I really want to change that people see that they're missing out on having a horse that is truly connected, mm. that is enthusiastic of being with us. That, that finds joy in being with us, just like we want to, you know, be happy and have joy and, 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 and really appreciate what we're doing. I feel the horse has every right to have the same experience that we do because they do so much for us. Yeah. So this idea that when we communicate, that we communicate with lightness, and that we don't use more than a hundred gram or three ounces. And if I have to use more, why is that? Why can't my horse respond to something soft, right? Why can't my horse respond with softness? Because I think lightness can be achieved with pressure and control and causing and making, but our horse being soft and happily and willingly responding is something completely different. And so do horses by nature push into pressure? Yes. That's why we have bucking horses, right? There is pressure around their belly and they buck. Um, the mountain lion jumps on the horses back in the wild and the horse will round his or her back and jump up and push into the pressure to try and get rid of the mountain lion. Um, if a horse gets tied up and they haven't learned to yield or follow a feel, they will pull back. And sadly, you know, a lot of us might know about a horse that literally has killed herself by pulling back, broken her own neck. Because they didn't know that one step forward would have released the pressure that they were so afraid of. They don't know. So we have to teach them. And a lot of times I see that people don't spend enough time to teach the horse. So then we hear things like, my horse got scared and I tried the one rein stop and it didn't work. Hmm. Well, the one rein stop doesn't work because the horse has never truly learned to yield and follow a field. So I spend a lot of time with my student teaching their horse to really follow a field to be super light with softness and to just, and that feel can be mentally, emotionally, and physically, right? We can have a feel with a lead rope. We can have a mental feel where we just ask our, at liberty, right? We don't have a rope, but our horse can still follow or yield a feel. And so it feels so good to the horse when it's light and when it's soft and when they come from a perspective of, of course I follow my human. 
of course I yield to my human because I respect my human as my lead. And when we go through those four key elements, the boundaries and the mini and micro threshold and the triple X relaxation strategy and that idea of communicating with lightness and softness, to me, that's where our horse can feel safe, secure and confident with us. And what I saw in myself and what I see in my students, when we see that our horse can feel safe, secure and confident with us, that is an incredibly empowering experience. And that in turn then helps us to feel safe, secure and confident. So if right now, somebody who's listening is not confident, but we're looking at what can you do with your horse right now to help your horse feel safe, secure and confident with you. That is that reciprocity that comes right back to us where we gain another level of confidence. And then we just raised our confidence a little bit. Like I had a student in the Philippines, her polar pony ran her over and she didn't even dare to go in the paddock with her horse. So we started out with her sitting on a chair in front of the paddock and she could do that. And then her horse came over to the fence and was like, what are you doing? Why are you sitting there? And then she could put that chair a little bit closer. Eventually she was standing at the fence. Eventually she was just opening and closing the gate without going in, right? Eventually she opened the gate, she went in, she went back out and pretty soon she could be with her horse. And every time it was a good experience for her, every time it was a good experience for her horse. And so very, very easily and slowly, but very methodically, every time she raised her area of comfort and confidence just a little bit, and that's that time that it, it will take, right? There, there is no quick fix. If somebody tells you they have a quick fix with horses, in my opinion, they're lying because it takes time. And are there things that we can do that work quicker than others? Yes. Are there some things that you can do with control and pressure where you momentarily have success? Yes. I think the lasting success and that you know, I'm looking at, I'm going to spend the next 10 and 20 years with my horse. And once and for all, I have this issue fixed. I never have to go back and look at that again, because it's fixed once and for all. Root problem taken care of. And that that's kind of where, where I would like people to go and, and, and see that that is possible, right? Yeah, and, and that's a, a fantastic thing to to do when you get a new horse and you make these boundaries you never have to i know people who they buy a horse and and this is not going well and they buy a new horse and uh, you you it's so much better for both you and your horse to to have all the ground rules from the start yeah yeah and and there are ways where you know you can really test your horse's mental, emotional, and physical balance. Because once we know what to look for, right? What does it look like when our horse has rhythm? What does it look like when our horse has relaxation? What does it look like when our horse is truly connected to us? When, when students know what to look for, 
every time before I, I get on, on, a, on my horses, I usually don't ride other people's horses. Every time I get on my horses, I do a little pre-ride safety check. On what side of the paddock did you get up today? You know, what do we need to talk about so that we have that mental, emotional and physical balance? Because I don't know, you know, for all I know, we live close to the river. The mountain lion might have gone through the pasture at night and my horse is really still alert and looking out. And I'm like, do we need to have a chat about that? You know, can you feel safe, secure and confident with me, despite that you can still smear, smell the mountain lion in the pasture? Mm -hmm. That's that's that ongoing conversation that we need to have with our horses. And that's how we, in my opinion, we can avoid and we can even eliminate scary experiences and accidents when our horse really starts to look for us and for guidance. And we have making that we have made that oath, you know, that we are the gatekeeper of our horse's safety, security, and confidence. And that means if you know my 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 friends say, hey, do you want to go on a trail ride this weekend? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I can't because my horse is not ready to go out on the trail yet. And now we set those boundaries and that we're willing to expand our horse's comfort and confidence slowly but surely. And, you know, then like my student in Croatia, it took her three weeks and yes, then she could go out on the trail, but she mm -hmm. was willing to take the time it takes and to look for her horse and say, are you ready? Do you know your feelings and your feedback matter? Are you ready to go out on the trail with me? But what are three weeks? You know, exactly. Uh, it it yeah. takes it it takes six weeks for a broken leg when the accident is coming. <laughs> so true, right? And yeah. when we have a scary like, I. It was years for me after my accident. It happened about 20 years ago. And it was years and years of agony. And I have lots of, and I'm sure you can relate to that, mm -hmm. that students come that had years of agony. And they're like, I'm on the verge of giving up on. My husband tells me I need to sell my horse yeah. because I'm not riding. How many mm -hmm. times have we heard that? Right? A lot. A lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Because. Yeah. The horse is no good if you don't ride it. Either you ride the horse or you sell the horse. Mm -hmm. I have so many students that had that experience or that's just not the right horse for you. You need to get yourself another horse. And mm -hmm. then the problem isn't fixed because it's really the human, how we show up. Because most of the time what I've experienced is students sell the horse, get another one, and the problem is still the same mm -hmm. because they have not changed. We need to be willing to change ourselves in order to get the results that we are looking for, right? Yeah. Well, time is running. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fantastic to hear. You tell it so clear and yeah, I'm sure everything would get something out of this. I hope so. Yeah, was, thank you so yeah. much for having me. Uh, I mean, it just... We're both in the business of helping people to really find joy with horses and to feel safe, secure, and confident and and to have that step by step, you know, this is what you do. And that is in stark contrast to so many other programs out there. Mm -hmm. And to me, 
always look in the horse's eye of the trainer or instructor that you're choosing and look how is the person's horse feeling and what is the horse's feedback and if the horse's feedback is I love being with my humans. This is the best thing since sliced bread. I can't wait for my human to show up. When you see that, right? And you don't see that a lot of times with people. Even if they do say, yeah, I teach you how to be confident. Yeah, I teach you how to connect. But it's the techniques that really matter so that we can avoid scary experiences and, and accidents. And even, I think, eliminate them to a large extent. No need to fall off the horse a hundred times to be a no. good rider. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thank you so much for showing up and tell us all this. Uh, it was really a pleasure. Uh, where can people find you if they want to talk more with you? They can find me at petrachristensen.com. And um, yeah, on my website, and you can have a free audio where I talk about those four um, key elements that to me are like super, super important. And uh, make sure if you're listening to check out Anne's program as well, because whenever I go to your, your group in, uh, on Facebook, I, I always, you know, we can relate so much to what we're talking about, because we come from the same ideas of what is important for people to be confident with horses yes thank you so much and uh, thank you for listen and see us today and i hope you will subscribe to this podcast because we are going on with all these wonderful human who who do things for horses so Thank you so much for today. Thank you for coming, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for everybody for listening. Bye now. Bye.